Hello, and welcome to a lock-in at the Crate and Crowbar. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the Apple TV show Severance. Uh, here to discuss that with me are Alex Wiltshire. Hello. And Tom Francis. Hello. Hello. So yeah, I, I thought this was a, a you know, because we've been, you know, slightly messaging backwards and forwards about this show and kind of, you know, every now and again a show kind of comes along that, in this age of binging and streaming, you know, you end up watching week on week. And I always think that's, you know, you get that kind of water cooler vibe to it, which is something that's kind of fast uh, sort of um, disappearing in this world, <laughs> kind of show that you can kind of enjoy on a week by week basis and kind of enjoy looking forward to what's going to happen next rather than just binging it, which, you know. Oh, I hate I that. Mean, <laughs> <it's>, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I waited until like, I think you, you actually mentioned the show to us around the time that it was close to finishing so there was a, like a good backlog to binge which is the only reason i was on board <laughs> if it was like at the start of it I, I would just have to wait till the whole thing is done because i can't i don't deal with cliffhangers as well as i used to <laughs> see i, enjoyed, really, I really did i did enjoy the, the weekly thing actually because um yeah, I just, I, I think I'm becoming more and more abstemious in my <laughs> late, in, well, middle, middle age. Coming to <laughs> more and more what, sorry? Not very middle age. Abstemious, like sort of, sort of wanting to eke stuff out. And I just enjoy the sense of kind of, oh, I can't actually satisfy my interest <laughs> in what's going to happen next. And that makes me feel special. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't know that word. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's 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 good to see that some of the streamers are still at least doing this a little bit. I think even you know even if it, I mean I do think it can be quite good if you do what you did, Tom, and actually what I did as well, which is just come in so you've got at least a couple of episodes to start you off rather yeah. than uh, having to. Sometimes it's nice to have a little run up. Um. So we we um we we started watching it on uh, like when it very very like which is quite rare, um, but watched it as soon as uh, it started airing. And I must admit that at that point I was slightly nervous because I kind, I, I enjoyed the first episode, but I was worried. I didn't know whether it was going to be able to, to sustain that feeling and to be, yeah. to actually follow up on, on the mystery and things in a satisfying manner. Yeah, I suppose, you know, it's kind of like the lost burnout, but um, <laughs> not being able to, not be able to answer that or kind of feel a bit more secure in it until the next week. Like, am I, should I be allowed, am I allowed to feel, to look, look, to look forward to next week? <laughs> I don't. One of the. Then, I don't know. I felt more com- secure as time went on. One of the pleasures of it for me was not knowing anything about the concept going in. So I guess we should say this is going to be a spoiler podcast. Um, And if you haven't seen any of this, now's the time to stop and go and watch it. Because for me, one of the great pleasures was not knowing the concept um, and figuring that out during episode one. And uh, once I did figure out the concept, my first thought was, oh, shit, that's a brilliant concept for a short story or a movie. I'm not sure if it's a great concept for a series because it's so kind of self-contained. It's actually... Like movies, the more sort of the closer relative to a series, but actually short story feels kind of perfect for it where like, especially sci-fi short stories, high concept is great. Something you can explain quickly is great. And something that sort of conjures ideas and gets you thinking without necessarily needing to back it up (laughs) is great too. Like a short story can raise those ideas in your mind, then just leave. And, you know, it can end on, I actually, the moment I really thought it it felt like a short story was um, when you realize that he is... Uh, taken this job partly to escape the grief of uh, losing his wife 
And yeah. uh, that felt like such a sort of neat kind of button on it to like kind of not quite come full circle, but just sort of give it a, a, a little twist at the end that um, that reframed the whole thing, that it wasn't so much about the science as the, um, uh, as the emotional role it was serving for him. Um, and... I, yeah, one of the things I want to sort of come back to as we discuss through this is like whether it manages to justify it being a series. Um, mm. And yeah, that, that first episode really uh, was a brilliant uh, introduction. Should we explain what the concept is just in case anyone is listening <laughs> without having seen it? <laughs> yes. Um, so Severance is a show that takes place at, uh, for the most part, on the severed floor of a company called Lumen, uh, who are a kind of big evil core type uh, corporation, uh, as we are led to understand. Um, and our characters are severed, uh, or called innies, <laughs> which is to say they are sort of distinct personalities um, who have been severed from their kind of original personality to come and work in this space. Uh, and, and they have no memory of the outside world or the person they are. Uh, on the outside, who they call their outies. And uh, the same is true in the opposite sense, that their outies have no uh, knowledge or memories of, of what goes on on the, on the severed floor. Yeah, so it's like uh, the same bodies, it, different minds. Yeah, they describe it as like sort of spatially uh, connected memories, so that like as they go through the elevator, they all of their outside memories turn off and all of their in-work memories turn on. Um, and yeah, there's a difference. It's not completely symmetrical where... The outside person gets to keep all of their memories of, the, of before they started working, um, as well as everything else. And then their their inside memories are only work. And uh, maybe we'll get into this, but um, limited knowledge of just anything outside of the, the company. So the one of the things that's good about the first episode is they get this concept across by having somebody who's just been severed uh, wake up and then go through the, the sort of induction questionnaire, which is like, what is your name? And they, they can't answer that. And uh, uh, what state or territory are you from? They can't answer that. And then name any state or territory in the US and they can answer that. So they do retain knowledge of, of the outside world to some extent, um, but not their own personal knowledge. And it's an interesting question as to where that line would be because you know anything you do know about the outside world is a memory of your life, right? You were told at some point, she named Delaware. At some point she was told about Delaware. So that is a memory of her previous life. Um, but obviously they have a pretty strict lines. And um, I was interested, I actually rewatched the first episode last night to sort of see, because by the end of the series, you sure have some new context for, <laughs> for a lot of what you're seeing in episode <laughs> one. And um, uh, it's very interesting. Irving in particular is, is so different in the first episode to where he ends up. He's so bright and chipper and confident and he's like the joker. And because uh, I'd forgotten about the whole huh. what's for dinner kids thing. which <laughs> is like the most bizarre <laughs> bit of work banter. <laughs> um, and they, uh, the, the others have a list of eight reasons why they hate that greeting. <laughs> but he also, um, when Dylan, Dylan's getting all, all excited about his waffle party or, or sort of fantasizing about it. And Irving is like, um, uh, you know, mocking it as being, oh, your reward for, a, for hard work as a child's breakfast. And that really sort of, stood out as like mm, that's quite a specific thing to know about the outside world that that the waffle party is a child's breakfast <laughs> yeah it's it's an interesting one that that uh that uh his character goes on such a journey it's kind of <laughs> um it's strange that yeah it's that you're able to pick up on that rewatching because yeah it's i haven't gone back yet and i'm interested that that's uh that's the case particularly with him 
Uh, I forgot. Yeah, and I forgot all about that questionnaire and its significance now. Like, that's really interesting. Yeah. Because one of my questions was, like, what do they know about the outside world? Because we know, we know that they 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 have a general awareness of what's outside, uh, and yet, obviously, no specific. Maybe maybe they're only allowed to know. That's an interesting wrap up. Maybe they're only allowed to know the state of Delaware and what waffles are for. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's it's interesting I just having a little Google around about the um show's influences. Yeah. Um and I just found this interview just now which said um films like The Truman Show, Office Space, Brazil, the video game The Stanley Parable and the Dilbert comic strips. <laughs> I was I I was really struck by its sort of Stanley Parable feeling from the very first episode. I was kind of and I was this is this it's like that. I th- I thought also there was a bit of sort of bioshockiness in there as well with the with the presentation of um Kier. Um, oh yeah. Kier Egan, the um the the founder of Lumen. Um, and, and the that way aspect he's of it, kind of, um, go on. Deified. Um, the, the, that aspect deified, of it was yeah. surprising to me because um, I went into it kind of thinking it was going to be, I was thinking Office Space and I was thinking Dilbert and and sort of a parody, especially like a modern parody of of, um, uh, of the modern workplace. And then once it starts getting to Egan and this, this sort of the perpetuity wing where they study the, the history and all the kind of like, <laughs> it's such a, it's a cult. It's a religion. It's like all of which, like, I get, you could sort of say there's culty religious elements to, to some modern workplaces, but I don't feel like that is the spirit of the, the sort of, when we talk about work-life balance today and, and the kinds of jobs that people have and the, the ethics issues around them, it's almost the opposite where like nobody really gives a fuck about their job and they wish they didn't have to work for these horrible <laughs> corporate overlords. And there isn't a big problem of people like worshiping Jeff Bezos, you know, amongst Amazon employees anyway, as far as I know. Um, I don't so it, know about that. I really, really don't know about that. Yeah. I think, I think, I mean, I think obviously I think corporations, I mean, where we go, no, let's, let's talk about this now. <laughs> I think the corporations obviously uh, would like their employees to be slightly cult-like yeah. in their um, appreciation of them, you know, by calling Googlers Googlers. And uh, I was very upset to find out that um, my, my, uh, Microsoft um, workers are called my, Microsofties. Very. <laughs> What's the meta one? <laughs> Isn't there a new one for meta employees now that they've changed the name? Oh, Yeah. Oh God, I can't remember. But it's horrible. <laughs> I remember it's horrible, and I remember laughing about it. Um, uh, but I think that I think that, that there are certainly some some people that work at companies that are like that. But I think that actually uh, Severance is looking back in many ways to some of the older corporations and mm. the way that they controlled people's lives. You know, the kind of corporations that would build a town. Yeah. Um, uh and and basically people would live entirely within the company you know despite going yeah, that, home to their you know because that's the, the houses that it? they were yeah and that that yeah and that that's what i was thinking um companies i mean there are loads of examples of these kind of model towns you know built by uh companies all over the uk but obviously in the us as well and i'm struggling to think of any examples at all but um but what's also interesting is that the 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 exterior shots of Lumen's building are of a uh, a building designed by the architect um, Iro Saarinen, um, uh, uh, 
built for Bell Labs. Uh, it was the Home Dell complex in um, uh, New Jersey. And Bell Labs definitely has that sort of corporate, uh, but also slightly cultish feel to it because, um, you know, like workers there would be very proud about where they worked. It had a sort of a history of, of technological kind of development and a fierce pride in, in what it developed. So, for example, at um, that particular place, uh, the, the, the Holmdale Complex, that was where um, uh, our radio um, astronomy was developed in the, in the 30s. That's where it was invented that you could look out at the stars using radio waves. And... Um, and um, uh, and that, yeah, weirdly enough, I think that it's not really looking at today. It's looking yeah. at yesterday, but def- definitely with today's kind of, with a full awareness of today's attitudes and how they resonate. Yeah, I mean, I I went into the show kind of expecting it to be a satire on on corporate yeah. life and stuff like that. And it really isn't <laughs> like, I, I, I think it, you know, even the title suggests it and, and kind of, you know, the idea of like a work-life balance, as you say, Tom, and actually it, it does go much weirder than that. And I do yeah. think that like the quasi mystical aspects of business um, uh, and of enterprise and of corporations are kind of more in its gaze and they exist in the world, as we know it today, in a, in a slightly different form, you know, in the kind of personality cults of, of our Elon Musks and even our kind of disparaging personality cults of someone uh, like Jeff Bezos. You know, we kind of, there's a sort of tacit admiration there, even while we all sort of acknowledge he is the devil incarnate. And I, I think that Severance is really interested in kind of, you know, expanding that kind of, yeah, the kind of weird pseudo-mystical, pseudo-religious kind of, side to these um you know personalities behind these um big corporations um so yeah I, I, just to kind of um go back to the sort of um show as it kind of uh, unfolds we find the characters uh working in this space uh focusing mostly on mark as our kind of main um played by adam scott um and obviously as the show goes on what happens is is that they and we discover more about the company and what's going on there, although there are significant holes as Series 1 uh, wraps up. Um, and we also sort of, you know, delve a bit more into the past of the characters as they are on the outside world. Um, I think we can go through kind of deftly episode by episode and just touch on mm. on some moments. I thought it was worth maybe just sort of skipping through some of the characters in the show, because I think... One of the show's um, great strengths is its cast. Um, isn't really a, a weak link uh, amongst them, really. Um, actually, I would say that there's one significant weak link, and I think Patricia Arquette, I think her character doesn't quite land. <laughs> Do you think because of uh, so she her plays... performance or the character itself? I, uh, I mean, the character itself is, is a kind of an, an elusive character, you know, the fact that she is, you know, this kind of, uh, you know, cult member for Egan, you know, we see her worshipping at an altar yeah. in her house, but the fact that she can also slip into this different kind of persona of, of the woman who lives next door to Adam Scott and can also, you know, um, give like exquisite breastfeeding lessons yeah. and all that kind of stuff. That was weird. I, <laughs> and she can also drill yeah. a hole in a man's head at a funeral without anyone knowing. <laughs> like she's sort of a <laughs> yeah, weird yeah, super yeah. agent somehow. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in her, in Ben Stiller's show he did previous to this, which was called 
Escape at Dannemore, which I can really recommend, which is like a prison break. Oh, yeah, she's in that, isn't she? Thing. She's in that, and she's amazing in that. She just kind of absolutely disappears into that part. I, I think she's an incredible actress. Sorry, I shouldn't say actress, actor. Um, uh, I just think that this part is written weird, <laughs> and I think it doesn't quite get to where it needs to be, particularly as um, her subordinate... Um, Mr. Milchick, I think, is is a real highlight in this. Yeah. Uh, played by Tramel Tillman. What a character he is. Yeah. yeah he's awesome. Like he yeah, the um I mean it like the memorable things that that, that he he does. Uh, like uh, the 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 dance party <laughs> yeah. um was quite remarkable. But but actually uh it's his sort of um everyday kind of um the way he just you just don't know. He, it, it, he's. Uh, I'm not. I'm really struggling to. It, you don't know how to take him at any time. You just know that on a dime he can become very angry or very friendly or start dancing. And, um, yeah, I thought that. <laughs> <laughs> but well, the utterly that, believable at all times. The fact that he's non-severed in this almost entirely severed split space, and it's. I think it's the fact that because you know he's concealing so much, yet he also seems natural as well. He seems like such a natural at, at being in this space, what, but we can still feel from him, you know, his kind of irritation um, or his independence, you know, even though he conceals it incredibly well. And I think his performance really, really sells that. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and everyone else is just fantastic. Adam Scott, you know, he's a great kind of everyman actor but i actually think he does some really lovely uh work in this as well i've never seen him quite be quite as soulful as he is in in this show it's very interesting right at the start of episode one where he is the voice that heli is hearing when she's lying on the table and at first he's the sort of mystery voice and you know she's it almost starts as if she's going to be the protagonist um and he's this sinister voice on the radio and then later when we get it from um Actually, even just at the end of that scene, the door opens and you see him standing at the door. The way he's standing is very weird. He really looks like a sort of a villain in a, in a horror movie or something. He's like, his arms are just like a little bit too far out from his body. And there is something a little bit weird about his face. I feel like, I don't know if it's he's something very, he's doing as an actor. He's a looking man. But I think he, mm. especially here, like he's, in everything else I've seen him in, he's always just like fuzzy and friendly and, and the soft guy. And uh, here he just looks a little bit more sort of um, gaunt and kind of uh, a little bit more angular somehow. Uh, I don't know if that's something I've done intentionally, but it works really well. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Like it, he's, yeah, you're right. But it, he, his face does change like from moment to moment. Like sometimes he can look almost hawk-like and sort mm. of, and other times, yeah, he can look sort of warm and friendly. It's, um, yeah, yeah. The character says to him later that, like, you think you don't carry your sadness into the into the severed floor, you know, but you do. You just don't know. You don't know how to recognize it, you know. And I think he yeah, sells I, that concept really well. I have to say, going back and watching episode one again, that does not come across. If that's supposed to be, if he is trying to communicate <laughs> that his performance, because it. I mean. Fair play. In the first episode, they're trying to sell the opposite, right? The whole the concept of the show is that you don't carry anything in. And so they have to explain that first before they can start to question it. And so his performance is actually, there's loads of details I, I missed the first time through because I didn't know what the concept was. So when, when he goes in the elevator, there is a 
uh, sort of FOV effect going on where it kind of is it a, a crash zoom where you sort of zoom in and you change the, um, yeah, the lens as well. So that, so that the, uh, he doesn't get any bigger on screen, but the relative distances of things appears to change. And we can tell that's supposed to signify something. Um, I interpreted it as like him, you know, I was thinking of in terms of like a limitless t- kind of concept where like he's sort of his brain is waking up or something. And, um, uh, I got that from it anyway. Then there's the extremely long walk down the corridors to where he actually works. Uh, during which he's just sort of a picture of contented worker. He just looks very casual because we've just seen him crying in his car. So that's the kind of the, the contrast they're trying to sell. Yeah. And there's a really nice moment where um, he's just sort of walking along. He walks so long that he sort of ends up um, uh, patting his pockets, I think. And he finds a tissue in there and, and doesn't understand why it's there. It looks kind of puzzled at it and then like tosses it sort of very neatly and very sort of proudly into a bin. Like that's, that's the only thing on his mind is if he can toss these tissues into the bin really well and looks very pleased with himself when he does. And then a moment later, he sort of sniffs a bit and you realize he's got the sniffles and he doesn't really know why. And so all these clues that he's just been crying are completely lost on him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's really nicely framed and then the fact that you know yeah you sort of we meet heli in in that's sort of close to that point in in that first episode and you kind of see her realization of a situation and panic <laughs> at this bizarre situation she's kind of woken up in well, I just thought another fantastic performance from Britt Lower, who's an actress I haven't... Yeah. I keep saying actress. An actor I haven't seen before. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think she communicates... Because she never accepts her predicament, you know. And the way that she portrays her, like, that kind of barely contained anxiety and fury at the position that she's been put in and that she only ever has like varying degrees of that like she never moves beyond that point really or if she does she kind of comes back on it and like i really like that i really like that she is a defiant character yeah. who sort of refuses to be broken but is also really amiable and likable at the same time you know yeah she has to do so much work there like there's so such a range she has to communicate whilst making none of it seeming inconsistent with each other like because she's literally suicidal you know in i think it's episode two or three she tries to kill herself (laughs) yeah and and at the same time she's also kind of the fun one of the group (laughs) yeah yeah exactly yeah she's sort of joking around in a way that like in the way she's it's because her exam her, her experience is kind of mirroring ours as the audience because you know, we're also new to this place and we can't understand the reverence that these bizarre three other characters seem to have for their work, whatever the hell it is, you know. <laughs> so her yeah. kind of, what the fuck are we doing here? It's kind of, you know, you can't help but um, but, um, but, but, but kind of um, sympathise with all that. It's very interesting because she, like the typical way to do something like this, where you're sort of, the thing you want to explain is an institution and a system that already exists is you have your protagonist be new to it and then everyone has to explain it to the protagonist. And so we go along with the protagonist and we follow them on a journey. And here they've split that into two roles. So there is one character who's new to it and then not the protagonist. Um, Adam Scott's character is the protagonist and he's he has to explain it to her. And so we have this, this interesting split where Heli sort of feels like she's going to be a protagonist, but then isn't. And at first I was a little bit up, not upset, but uh, a little bit disappointed in that uh, because just because everything else about the show is quite fresh and it sucks a bit that the main character is a white guy with a dead wife. <laughs> like that part feels pretty, uh, uh, what's the word, kind of old fashioned. And I was sort of hoping she would be the protagonist. And she obviously does feature heavily. 
Um, and by the end of it, we know why she can't be the protagonist because you know the main thing you need, need for the mm-hmm. protagonist character in the show is to show both their outside life and their inside life to, to show the contrast. Um, and to show her outside life would <laughs> would not work given the role she ends up playing. So by the end of it, I was I was I made my peace with it. Um, but yeah, splitting that that duty is um, it worked pretty well for for just get letting them do a load of exposition, but also letting the character that they're actually focusing on be someone who's used to this. Yeah, exactly. I really love uh, the way she dresses as well. It's an interesting thing about this world is that these characters don't dress themselves. They arrive, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, dressed. And I, I particularly love her kind of exquisite office wear, hmm. um, you know, com- contrasted with, uh, you know, Dylan's slightly more schlubby look or, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's kind of, uh, they look they look great. They look like a real, when, it, when the four of them walk down a corridor, as they do quite a lot in this show, they look like a real kind of, pack of weirdos it's great um uh dylan what i i, I love dylan yeah dylan's so good i love dylan <laughs> great performance too i think there's something glorious he just i mean there's always a guy like him in an office right and in any show about an office there is an there's always going to be a character like this you know the kind of slightly base arsehole like you know kind of joker type um who's also a kind of jobs worth and you know and a stick in the mud and all that sort of stuff um but again just the performance of 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 this character it just kind of takes it so far beyond that you know uh, it's this particular weirdo and kind of is the way he relates to the others is is just really it's just great fun you know yeah i love that he's the in a lot of ways he's the rebel one he's he'll you know be uh, profane and disrespectful to the whole system and everything but at the same time the gamification of the job has completely got him hook line and sinker he is completely like locked into and doing a great job as well because he wants all the little rewards he wants the finger trips and he wants the waffle party <laughs> <laughs> he's really proud of the finger traps but yet but he's like yeah he's 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 all he, he's the least um uh uh um re- rebellious of all of them like you know despite the things he says he's he he does nothing actually until the end of the series to actually go countermand anything in 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 fact he's always the one who says things like no 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 we mustn't do that we can't do that no it's too dangerous we mustn't you know uh but which which is kind of which is a fun kind of um, counterpoint to the fact that he's the one most likely to mouth off and to say stuff. The line there is sometimes hard to draw because a lot of his rebelliousness slash obedience, depending on how you want to look at it, is his absolute murderous hatred of optics and design. <laughs> where he's ready to like <laughs> fucking destroy them with his own two hands. And that, that could be seen I, either him, all. you know, he's uh, willing to physically attack other employees, <laughs> which is a very rebellious thing to do. But at the same time, he's sort of bought into to his his division loyalty so uh so zealously yeah. that he's i think you can definitely call him a company man as well <laughs> which is funny because because it's um it's uh john Turturro's character Irvin bailiff who you who i figured was the company man like he's yeah. the one that is deferential to the sim- yeah, symbology of the of the company and the, the the meaning of the company and all that kind of thing but actually he's the one that breaks the most rules like he's constantly wandering off and kind of endangering (laughs) stuff like in other people's eyes yeah i think that's the um, the strength of that is that um they set him up as the company man in order to to show how significant it is that he that he breaks those rules to see bert yeah 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 
it's genuine. I mean, uh, Bert played by Christopher Walken in full <laughs> Christopher Walken. I don't mean Christopher Walken. It sounds like Christopher Walken doing a Christopher Walken impression. <laughs> but it's really like full blown. What a full piece of stunt great, casting great. for that. Yeah, fantastic. And the fact that he's just in these like kind of crappy overalls, like designing posters and sort of uh, running his fingers admiringly over printer paper. It's great. (laughs) I found, I must admit, I found it um, slightly jarring because I'd watched uh, what I'd given up on. um, uh, There's a a Bristol set comedy drama uh, that's uh, that's been running called um, The Outlaws. Um, It's set in Bristol. Uh, It's Stephen Merchant's project i didn't think it was very good uh and in walks fucking christopher walken into this incredibly british and really quite mundane little comedy drama like what the fuck is he doing in bristol um and i'd kind of just about got my head around him being there and then you know fucking whoa and now he's here being christopher walken i found it very hard very very hard to deal with but not not with no fault to Severance or Christopher Walken. <laughs> I think the relationship between him and uh, Irving is uh, genuinely touching yeah. Um, yeah, and genuinely, genuinely mm-hmm. sweet. And I like that there's a little sort of 1984 sort of going on for that character there where he's like, you know, what makes him rebel ultimately is his, his heart and his, his feelings and a, a genuine connection he has uh, with this guy, which is like, weird and wonderful and 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 yeah i i, I was uh, surprised by that element of the show and i thought it was uh, really well handled i thought that um i mean i'm kind of you know uh, zooming right to the end of the series at this point but i just wanted to sort of note that um i really loved the way that um for a for a show that's about mystery it really did finish some their uh, arcs, some of the uh, some of these characters' arcs in a very satisfying way, while also leaving lots to be further explored. Um, for example, so, so Irving's kind of that relationship with Bert, um, you know, seeing that Bert in the in in the outside world um, has a has a relationship with with a, with a man, and therefore you know uh, is taken. Um, the fact that we see um, um, uh, and, and the stuff that happens to Adam Scott as well, um, uh, sorry, Mark Scout as well. Um, I thought I thought that the, the arcs that are set up uh, for each for a lot of the characters are really nicely taken through, while also kind of <laughs> left <laughs> uh, for a second series. Yeah, so and, and when we get to when we get there, I think I think that's sort of my, I mean, it's, it's sort of not even. I guess I, I think that the show generally to sort of answer the question that Tom was posing at the beginning about you know whether this was a better you know better for a, a you know a, a short story or a movie. I mean, TV is often very good at beginnings and often very good at endings and not too good at the middle. And what happens, you know, while we're sort of. <laughs> Take, making time before we get to those ending points. I generally, I think this show ended really, really well. Um, and I think it did a really good job of paying enough off while keeping enough um, back for kind of each of the characters. Yeah. Um, I actually didn't feel uh, that way. <laughs> I, um, hmm. So I, so the, let's see, the, not the second to last, the one before the second to last episode, <laughs> third to last episode, uh, ended on a big cliffhanger. And then, um, uh, 
sorry, no, I'm getting mixed up. There's this second to last episode ended on a big cliffhanger. And um, then their final episode also ends on a big cliffhanger. And I'm okay with both of those things individually, but I don't feel like this final episode resolves the penultimate episode's cliffhanger. The penultimate episode's cliffhanger is is Dylan setting up the the uh, overtime protocol and giving everyone a chance at, at um, to kind of get the word out. Um, and will he be caught doing that, or, or what will the outcome of that be? And then the whole last episode is is just the what they do with that time. And we don't really get closure on on the whole endeavor. We're still mid-heist uh, at the end of that. And so I was really left thinking, ah, I just wish they'd like wrapped up a little bit more. <laughs> I think... I don't know. That, that goes back to what we were saying at the start. Like, I, Mr. Abst- Abstemious, I'm... <laughs> yeah, I just want... Uh, I don't want total closure, but I just want to feel like this was uh, a thing that works in its... Uh, as a whole unto itself. Um I basically I just want it to be one series. I didn't want it to be two. Um, you know, first I wanted it to be a short story, then I wanted it to be a movie, <laughs> then I wanted it to be only one season. <laughs> Maybe at the end of season two, I'll be like, okay, well now I'm happy with two seasons, but there better not be a third. <laughs> well, I mean, it's this it's this thing I've I think I've said on every single one of these podcasts I've done when we're talking about uh, uh, TV shows is that TV has this just inescapable need to. Um, do as many episodes of any given show as possible, which is almost never the necessary amount for any given story. Yeah. Like, you know, if every story that you can, uh, you know, imagine has an ideal amount of time that you could spend on it, I think. And TV doesn't care about that. TV just <laughs> wants loads and loads and loads. And, you know, if, if you work in TV, as I sometimes do, um, you know, and you, you, picture series that has six episodes or eight episodes they'll always say two more than that um you know because eight episodes is better than six and ten episodes better than eight and in almost every single television show you ever watch the middle two or the kind of you know if it's as if it's a ten if it's a eight episode series then episodes um six and seven or five and six will always be crap because the story's got to the point where they just need to go and do the thing that they're supposed yeah. to do but they can't do it yet because they need to spend another couple of episodes hanging around well this one uh, before they do that this one has i wouldn't i would like off the top of my head there aren't two episodes that spring to mind as being filler but there is this um strange sort of split in it where early on it's all about pt and ultimately this doctor who has um, hmm. reintegrated him. And that really feels like the main thrust of the whole thing. This is all about hmm. this doctor. And then suddenly it just all stops and we never hear about it again. And then it's all about the overtime protocol. And it almost feels like two mini seasons. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Although I was also slightly relieved that the PT story wasn't going to be the backbone of this one. Because, I don't know him hiding away some guy and the, the, the sort of, I don't know, I, I wasn't looking forward to, to that kind of a story. Um, I wanted it to delve into the mysteries rather than to, uh, to, to have most of the drama about kind of, will they be, will, will they find BT? Yeah. Um, I was quite pleased when it, you know, sorry, PT, but I was, I was pleased. <laughs> <when> it <died. laughs> well, it's, the, the show does write a few checks that it then, you know, realizes that it doesn't need to cash anymore. You know, it kind of, there's a few things like that that drop away. Um, and again, that's one of those things with TV where like, as you're writing the first series of a TV show, you're also discovering what your 
show is you know you're you're working out about that yeah you know and 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 i think you know and also you can imagine like well let's have a second series we'll leave all you know leave a bunch of stuff to to kind of reveal then i do think that the series ends well for me i mean i i you know often what happens with these things is someone's someone hasn't written the ending um I guess what you want with these things, with like a series cliffhanger, is you want the sense that the ending has been written or conceived of. You just haven't got there yet. Rather than the feeling of like, you know, in, in the worst era of Lost, where it's like, oh, they've just written a bunch of stuff to give themselves, you know, the challenge of writing of when they come back from their holiday next year. You know, like, how do we get them out of this situation? That'll, that'll require some really, really great imaginative writing that we won't actually be able to do when we get there. Um, but I thought this... Uh, you know the finale here gave the impression of of um you know for example the bit of information that adam scott you know the the fact that he his outie uh, sorry his innie realizes that that his wife is alive in the on the severance floor and he's able to deliver that piece of information rather than them having it made as a discovery and then not being delivered to the rest of the characters i felt like there was a few bold choices there that they made also having heli you know say the thing out loud that she says in her speech yeah. i think for me that that meant it, if there would be a version of the show where they didn't do any of that stuff and kind of you know um kept themselves back from it um if you watch the recent series loki that show was a absolute masterclass in not bothering to write any kind of conclusions or any kind <laughs> of you know sense of an ending for anyone at all and literally it's like the writers have just stood up from their keyboards and walked away and they've gone like, right, end of series one, you know? Um, and I thought Severance did a, did a much better job of yeah, that. Yeah, it definitely doesn't I, feel... I too... It doesn't feel shy about making progress. Like, I didn't... I never felt that sense of like, oh, it's... it's the, the worst sense is that stasis thing or the reset button where like, oh, they almost got away, but no, this thing undid it all. And so now they're back to where they were. Definitely doesn't feel like that kind of show. It's, it's not afraid to make the big changes. Yeah, and I really hope that series two doesn't open with... No one remembers anything, and we have to spend three episodes getting them back to that. Yeah. Because I hate it when that happens. It's really annoying. <laughs> there is, if we want to jump back to episodes just for a bit, um, uh, yeah. this is going way back now, but um, uh, the thing that really sold me on the show the, when I really, um, it really clicked for me was actually episode two, but it links strongly back to episode one, where in episode one, we see Heli try. Uh, is allowed to attempt to escape. Like they'd say, there's a stairwell, go through it. And um, from her perspective, we see her walk through the door and she, it's as if there's just another hmm. corridor through the door. Like she's, she is flipped around 180, but she's not aware of any kind of turning in any way. And you know, that next she tries running through the door and she comes flying back out. Um, and it looks like just a kind of neat cinematic effect of this. Uh, okay, like we as by this point we've had the concept explained to us we know that she can't leave and she won't remember um uh, she won't remember her uh, her time outside um but at the time it, it just sort of um i assumed there was some cinematic license being taken into in terms of what she would experience going through this and then in episode two we get to see the other side of it we get i actually forgotten this yeah. but we get almost a whole episode of heli outside of uh, heli's outie which is actually kind of huge now that we know who <laughs> heli's outie is um but there's, there's not much. There's a little. There's a few clues in episode two. There's things like um, Milchert says to her, like we all think it's incredible what you're doing here, um, and and when we heard you were coming here, we thought it was a miracle. Uh, some things which I remember bumping bumping on at the time of like, well, what, what does that mean? Um, <laughs> and then we get to see her each time she was ejected from from the uh, 
the workplace by her any um stumbling out of it and then deciding to go back in and you realize it'd be interesting to, to like see someone splice together the footage because i uh, they pretty sure they line up perfectly like there's a reason why one time in the first episode she comes back in with velocity and it's milcher advises her to like maybe take a run at this time or maybe do it with some oomph this time <laughs> and so she uh the outy uh, heli is is trying to sort of convince her her innie to to go with it by uh, going in with some gusto um and it actually even makes more sense now watching it back um knowing who she is because when you when i first saw it i remember thinking like surely this is a red flag for her that her innie keeps trying to leave like this is um uh you would you would have second thoughts at this point surely like your your innie keeps trying to throw herself out of this building um but now that we know she is you know part of this institution and a believer in it and someone who's sort of doing this as a um almost like an experiment or a sort of eating the cat food kind of thing to prove that the company is good um and we learn midway through the series that she doesn't consider the innie to be a person (laughs) all of that actually makes it make a lot of sense so that that one little thing in episode one that initially was cool but seemed like a bit of cinematic license probably cheating a little bit the more the show goes on the more honest you realize it was the more the more sense it makes which is so clever yeah yeah i i i'd completely forgotten about that um the fact that we see her on the other side and i just i just really enjoyed and i actually thought about you tom like the the logic of the situation that she she finds herself in where she's trying to go out into that stairwell and and then what you witness her then experiencing and that making no sense at all (laughs) when you watch it in that episode but then you discover about you know you know you see the other side of it and then suddenly it all just you suddenly understand exactly what the physics of this yeah. uh, setup kind of allows. Actually, there's, um, there's one question I do have, uh, be interested in your, your guys' on. thoughts on it, is um, why uh, Adam Scott, I'm going to keep forgetting his character name, uh, has to stand, can't can't watch it. He, he says, I can't look, I'm not allowed to see. Uh, my interpretation at the time was that the reason he shouldn't be in, in line of sight to the door is that when she comes back in, she'll sort of see the time jump, like, and that that would somehow not be what they want. But actually, that doesn't make a lot of sense because they're not trying to trick her into thinking time hasn't passed, right? Um, so I don't totally know why he's not allowed to see it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he built a, is it that he's not allowed to see into the, into the stairwell? Um, oh, you said that, didn't you? I, maybe he's not allowed to see, like, the interactions between Milchit and her. Like, he'd sort of... Milch is going to say some yeah, shit yeah. to her to send her back in and it, they don't want that to be sensitive. Oh, uh, if he sees, so it would mean that, that um, Heli's outie would see. Oh, that's true. Mark. Yeah, on the inside that's probably it. Because you're not meant to know anybody yeah. you're working with. Yeah, good point. Well, it's, it's funny that the show, you know, that the show, which is, you know, could have been about, work-life balance and corporations taking everything you have kind of isn't so much about that because you know the fact that the innies don't get to sleep that they live a continuous conscious existence you know um you know that's a really frightening idea Mm. (laughs) you know um and uh you know, the fact that there are these kind of time jumps for them that they get in the elevator on, you know, and then they're, and then instantaneously for them, they're getting out of it again, you know, and the show has some fun with that. But again, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's less interested in exploring 
that aspect actually well um, i found myself thinking about it a lot because it's such a it's such a an, a, a, an alien thought the, 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 to, to consider an experience where you are constantly as far as you're concerned you're constantly conscious and you're only in one physical space you're with the same group of people and time doesn't seem, you know, like, you know, you have no connection with kind of the seasons or, you know, time in general, um, uh, like that experience. But uh, what I love about it, like, you know, it's thought through enough that sort of presumably, I, I, I guess that the, the, the show feels that the human mind is by, by the fact that the, the human being has rested in between the work days mm that's enough for a brain to kind of just be, you know, be able to take it without going absolutely mad. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the fact, the fact that they've got all these weird ways of placating them where they just set the, they just set the kind of standards at a really medium level <laughs> so that like, you know, a reward is having like a melon party. Um, <laughs> yes. You know, it's, it's not like having a, you know, a big like blowout where you get to get drunk or anything like that. You know, often these, you know, in the matrix, there's all this kind of idea that if you give people, you know, if you give people too much freedom, they will kind of, they'll, they'll go insane because the, the sense of freedom will, will um, make it not seem real to them. So you have to give them like restrictions, but also the illusion of, of freedom. And the way that they've done that is with melon, and um, finger traps and, and all these kind of weird bar. objects. <laughs> the egg bar. <laughs> Amazing pair of words. <laughs> I wonder if, uh, I wonder how different it would be to just going to sleep. Like if you go to sleep and you don't have any dreams or you don't remember your dreams, um, you you still have a sense that time has passed, right? You don't have any memories yeah. for that period. So, you know, in, right, in my conscious yeah. experience, the last thing I remember is going to bed. Now I'm awake again. Uh, but I don't feel like, oh my god, I'm awake again. I'm bored of being awake. <laughs> you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can sort of have the re- recharging effect without remembering anything about it. That's true, and, and we do know that that there is certain there's certain aspects of consciousness that bleeds through from one state to the next. You know, there are memories. There is sort of there are like I don't know shadows of of experiences which which you know, that they're kind of vaguely aware of yeah. in certain circumstances. I wonder, so obviously, like, go on. it would suck because, uh, you know, the idea of being refreshed, great, that sometimes happens when you go to sleep um, uh, and sleep is, is one of the more refreshing things. But actually, like, the nine o'clock arrival at work is not actually a time in your life when you feel super refreshed. <laughs> like a lot of people arrive at work <laughs> thinking, Oh fuck's sake, really? And so <laughs> for the innie to just sort of like, you end a day feeling kind of tired and, and maybe, maybe satisfied with what you've done. And then you just immediately snapped like, Oh God, <laughs> like I'm barely awake. <laughs> I also wondered like, um, cause we see uh, Mark drink a lot and do we ever see him hungover? Because that would be an interesting thing. Because oh, you can't, you can't just forget that you're hungover. I mean, if he drinks a lot, maybe he doesn't get hangovers anymore. But yeah, <laughs> yeah but, I mean, if, if if one of them has got sniffles going in, then oh no, the, the um, he's crying, isn't he? They might, yeah, yeah. I I wondered if he's hungover so often that the innie is just used to that as being basically <laughs> the status quo. 
that he's just accepted that as as a feeling that you have <laughs> at all points and doesn't really realize that there's any, anything untoward about it. Um, uh, one of the uh, questions that you posed in our little document here, Tom, was about the politician's wife. Yeah. Um, who we meet eventually. That's actually, I had a bunch of, which I thought, of questions, some of which are, I think are supposed to be open. That one I thought, like, maybe I'm supposed to know what's going on by now. Yes, you do get an answer to that um, eventually. Uh, so she she has been um, severed for the purposes of childbirth, basically. So in the episode where we're at the sort of lodge um, and she goes, um, Adam Scott's sister goes wandering looking for coffee and she meets the, the, the richer pregnant lady who's... Yeah who's giving birth and then she doesn't recognize her later. And then she's at the party at the end and she, she references it. Um, that yeah. So she is being severed for the purposes that when she has a child, it is her innie who, and who does that. So is that just a case of like that birthing retreat is the sort of severed location where like her memories will just be I, for that, that location and never again. I guess so. Or maybe they just flick a switch for her, like, like the, um, you know, overtime protocol. Or oh, something right, like yeah, that. Maybe it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be spatially well, uh, I, kind of uh, that. That thought occurred because I thought that would be quite a neat way of doing it. If this whole technology is based on spatial location, that you have a specific place you go to for the birth, and then um, uh, that would tie the memories to it. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was one of the most nightmarish concepts in the show. Uh, you know, because she says, I think she says she's got three kids, <laughs> and imagine being the, the someone, a being who is brought into existence basically, only to ha- you know go through the agonizing you know uh, childbirth process and then have no you know memory of that child, and your next memory is coming back to give birth again. You know, just like awful. Awful, awful. <laughs> yeah, it's really I mean, frightening. This, this actually, maybe this is a good time to talk about it's the philosophy side of things because this digs into the concept of like what is a person and are, are the innies and outies distinct people? Well, they're definitely distinct, but are they both people? Um, and when it's innies and outies, I feel like that's an easy question in the sense that the innies just are people. Like they're you know they have more limited lives and everything, but um, it's pretty hard to convince yourself that that's not a person and that sort of um, you know ending them doesn't have any significance uh but when you talk about these more extreme cases of like someone severed just for sort of uh, you know a couple of hours or something um is that couple of hours chain of memories is that a person i think that starts to get into mm. the gray area yes and, and in the final episode when we get um heli kind of talking to the the surviving egan her dad and he's called he might be called jane egan um you know, and he he talks he he kind of uh, in the way he's talking to her, he suggests that he has some sort of that he sees uh, severance as being infinitely purposed. You know, I think he's got I think he wants to use a technology in all kinds of of different mm-hmm. ways, mm-hmm. which suggests all these instances of people's personalities being popped into existence and then out again um, for all manner of of awful um purposes um i mean the show kind of has its the characters in the show kind of have that assumption i guess that it's sort of out of sight out of mind isn't it it's a kind of like well if i don't know what's happening i can't imagine that it's good but because it's not happening to me and because i can't see it then it's fine um And, and I just don't have to worry about it. It's like that um, philosophical model of um, 
that that guy came up with a while back about you know poverty and the idea that if a child was drowning in a pond in front of you you'd be duty bound to rescue it uh, and the fact that you know just because you couldn't see it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do anything and he you know he used that as an idea of like that's how poverty worldwide poverty basically is just because we can't see it then we don't feel duty bound to do anything and yeah, I don't know. And on that it's basis, it's a terrible I, thing they're doing. <laughs> yeah, and I think that on that basis, it's sort of weirdly, the show isn't overt about it, but I think it is a very much a um, uh, uh, an ethics play about uh, a morality play. Sorry, about um, about kind of yeah, you know, does evil exist if you can't see it and witness it? But it's interesting. Know, what's your responsibility with it? The um you know, out of sight, out of mind kind of thing, uh, kind of it applies to the outies after this has gone through. One of the sort of, I think, philosophically, um, it's one of the few shows where it deals with its philosophical subjects intelligently and, and actually engages with it and asks interesting questions. I had the opposite reaction to devs a while back where <laughs> that wanted to ask questions about free will and determinism, but just completely flubbed them and actually didn't really care about the answers and uh, very was very frustrating for me. This I generally really like. The, the one weakness I'd say is not really a philosophical one, but just um, I don't really buy that anyone would do this. I don't buy that it would be a popular thing. I don't buy that that um, uh, Heli would do it um, because going into it, you don't know which one of these people slash person-like entities you are going to be, right? It's the old teleportation problem of like, if you teleported by replicating yourself and destroying the original, the, the, a lot of people would be uneasy about that because am I going to be the original or am I going to be the, the, the new one, Nick? Um, that question may, may turn out to be you know, a nonsense question, maybe in, in a thousand years when we're completely used to the idea of, of replicating people and, and of dividing memories in this way, maybe we'd get used to it and we wouldn't ask that question. That question wouldn't seem meaningful to us. But I think in like currently, that is something most people would, be, would worry about, right? Like, am I going to be the work guy? Yeah, there's that, um, there's that thing. It's a sort of similar vibe in, in, it's in the Black Mirror um, Christmas special, uh, which is amazing and is, is easily the best that show ever was, where you can have a, a cookie, <laughs> it's called in the show, where it's like, it's a it's a very similar idea to this. You have a version of your personality um, uh, kind of severed and installed as you, in your brain as a kind of um, uh, personal assistant who's going to sort of run your life for you. And they live in this like horrifying, featureless void. Uh, and uh, when... Uh, when it tries to sort of rebel and say it's not going to do it, it's just, it's John Hamm actually just leaves it alone in this void for like four months <laughs> and then comes back and says, you have to do it. He just like breaks her will. It's absolutely horrible. Really, really <laughs> scary and nasty. And this is, this is a version of that kind of um, stuff, isn't it? Um, he's, he's also a version of the, that horror um, moment in Interstellar where, where they go down to a planet with very, very high, Oh, gra- there's a gravity thing. I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> anyway, they leave one of the crew in or- in orbit or nearby, where time will go uh, slower, slower, no faster, um, <laughs> differently for for the rest of the crew, differently, so that they go down to this planet for like about an hour or something, and uh, thirty years or something passes. <laughs> for the guy in the left behind and it's like this sort of oh god i really don't like the universe very much (laughs) i would argue the single best moment in that movie which was otherwise pretty interminable (laughs) yeah yeah i agree (laughs) so the um 
Well, one one thing I'd say is like, yeah, that's speculation. I think that's I think that's interesting. The, the, the job that they're doing, which is isolating scary numbers, <laughs> I think yeah. is really good fun. They, um, am I right in thinking they never actually say what the other emotions are? Because I remember when they're introducing Heli, they teach you the scary numbers thing first, and then he's like, "Well, it's not just those scary ones. There's other types too." And so, is that are they like happy numbers? <laughs> I only I only remember them having fairly nasty times with the numbers. He does speculate. What I can't remember what Dylan speculates that they're doing. He's got quite an interesting. Isn't there something about like of what? Um, it's wars, it's like post-apocalypse, and yeah, there's some wild animals or something, and it's, you've got to find the wild animals. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really good fun because you would speculate to that degree. I mean, have we got any ideas what it is they're they're doing? I wondered if it was just like that kind of lost thing where they just have to put the numbers in. To kind I'm of really worried about that. It's a lost thing. I'm keep, really keep themselves <laughs> busy, you know. Well, so I, I was thinking about what is the company. So at the uh, at the water party, the non dinner dinner, they talk about um, uh, Lumen being a medical uh, a sort of. Um, a, pharmaceutical uh, company and then someone else says aren't they more technology these days um so pharmaceutical slash techno- technology and their logo is a is yeah. a drop of water or a, sorry it's a drop which first have me thinking oil blood or water i think are the three things you might symbolize with a, a drop icon um <laughs> and i don't know i started to think oil um just because there is all this imagery of these the black gunk kind of coming out of stuff that um uh the workers sometimes see and um, I don't know. It's something to do. It's also called macrodata refinement. That also refinement's a very oily um, term. Mm. And yeah, yeah I don't know what specifically they're doing. But also the other thing is that there, I think there's got to be a good reason why they're not allowed to know what it is. Because bear in mind they can't take this knowledge out of the workplace anyway, and they're still not allowed to be told what it is. So it's got to be something that even divorced from the context of who you are and the rest of your life and everything that they would object to doing. So that gives it a kind of sinister air. It does. I think it's also interesting. So macro data, it's like, you know, macro being big. So sort of big data, you know, that's, that's my theory. That's all. It's just big data. Big <laughs> I mean, it's just big we data. Don't get, <laughs> we don't get any sense really of how big the severed floor is, although we know it goes further than they've explored. Uh, and we know that there's, you know, they discover a whole bunch of new um, employees in optics. Um, and I wonder, you know, quite how many, um, you know, different, departments there are and i wonder if there's kind of a whole world down there uh, of seven employees or i wonder if we've seen you know the most of them i mean it seems like there is the you know with what they're kind of it seems like there's the inference that it, there is a lot more people there um including that guy with the goats um but uh it'll be interesting to see that it, it, um the character played by um uh, i don't know how to pronounce her name dyken lackman dickon lackman <laughs> Uh, I think it's Dai Chun Lackman. Dai Chun, Dai Chun Lackman. Yeah, so uh, Miss Casey, the wellness counsellor, and uh, uh, who turned out to be Adam Scott's uh, presumably uh, previously assumed dead wife. Uh, I loved her scene with Irving where she's giving him the facts about his OT and telling him that he can't enjoy one fact more than the other <laughs> yeah. one. That was very good. <laughs> <laughs> 
he has to respond to them all the same. Um, uh, but once she served her purpose, she sent somewhere that they describe as, I think, tr- training or something like that, some sort of sinister um, name, mm-hmm. uh, which has the door that Irving is is painting obsessively. Um, mm. so, so that suggests some sort yes. of weird um, matrixy thing going on there or something. Well, I was just wondering, like, so the order of events has to be that Lumen somehow acquired her, right? Uh, something something happened to her that ended up in her being at Lumen. I think she's at Lumen before Adam Scott's character is because he joins Lumen as a response to his wife's apparent death. So it seems logical to me that her disappearance um, disguised as a death is probably Lumen's doing or, or Lumen is that is that whatever that event is, that is the one that causes her to be part of Lumen. And then she says that she's only awake for like half an hour at a time. And that, that eight hours that she um, spent watching Heli was, was the longest she'd ever been awake. So that, it just has me wondering what, what the, why basically like why if, even if they need to keep her out of the outside world for some reason, is there some other reason that they need her to be off most of the time or, or in some other state, you know, it's severed. So she could just be, she could even just work in a different department doing a different job for the rest of the time. You could have two innies, right? Yeah, that's interesting, actually, because obviously one reason she couldn't go out would be they couldn't release her because Adam Scott might see her. So yeah, that obviously they obviously but, have but to then keep why her have in. A, why so much downtime when she's in? Yes, because Adam Scott doesn't seem to be particularly important to them um, any more so than the others, whereas, you know, she might be. And I guess, you know, maybe there's some kind of weird deep storage thing they do. Um, I mean, it makes me think, would you saying that, that maybe, you know, in the crash, something about her brain helped unlock the severing technology for them, perhaps, you know, maybe often with these stories, you find that the characters are sort of, you know, turn out to be kind of fundamental to the technology itself. So I wonder if there's something there as well. Is the, so do we think there was a crash and that Lumen stepped in uh, or was the whole thing completely made up? Like, was he in the car when, when the crash happened or anything? Yeah, we don't, yeah, we don't know that, do we? I mean, there, there, there were some shots of kind of a location on a road, weren't there? I think yes. it was strongly suggested that it happened there. But then that's as far as I remember that there being any... Uh, like, yeah, if there if there really yeah, was a crash, so. then maybe her brain was was damaged. Maybe this is what you were saying, Jamie, that that Lumen kind of stepped in. Well, I think you're saying that maybe that sort of led to the severed technology, or yes, maybe it was like the model for it. Yeah. Well, I think it's been going on longer than that because um, uh, one of the things that surprised me watching episode one back is Irving talks about like the olden days. Like he was, he's been there for I think decades because he talks about. Like before all of this, all these finger traps and the waffle parties and stuff, like the previous era, he says, I remember when, when you did a good job and you just got a handshake from the boss and that was it. So I think he's been there a long time. <laughs> but I was wondering if maybe she was injured in the crash and such that her brain, you know, severed severance was the only way to sort of keep her going or, or they were just sort of, um, the, sort of brought in to, um, to take care of her and, and decided to, to sever her in this way. And that that might be why she has downtime is that her brain sort of can't cope with any more consciousness than that. But then that would be a bit weird because why would they be able to just say, sure, do an eight hour day watching Heli, that's fine. <laughs> it's interesting to think that like, you know, often in these things, the CEO is looking for sort of immortality. And I wonder if there's also a, something something in there as well that you can 
extend life perhaps by limiting it you know or something like that yeah i I don't know where i'm going with that but that would be a you know some some i i i'm assuming that there's gonna they're gonna forge on with weirder applications for severance in 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 the next series yeah yeah that's i would i think you're right i know it's obviously like the antithesis of what lumen are trying to do but i would it would be really interesting to see a story with someone who is severed and is allowed to communicate between the two versions like imagine the current situation but they are allowed to just write letters to each other like um and so if the innie wants to quit they can make their case to the outie and the outie will, will respond obviously heli does does that in in a very extreme form uh but we don't there's no no substance to that discussion because one of them just doesn't consider the other one to be a person at all but if you did have to sort of persuade yourself to do something i think that'd be interesting so i read there's a um uh they released a an ebook on Apple Books, obviously this is an Apple show, so um, they created. They, there's a it's just a short story book thing. Honestly, it's not very good, but <laughs> um, it's story. There's basically two halves of it, and the first half is a story um, uh, about a written as if it's an email to a, um, a newspaper. Um, uh, you know, sort of blowing blowing the lid on the story um, about a severed employee. Who starts? Who who starts to get messages from her innie? Because oh. um, when she was growing up, um, she had a. And this is like, I'm not quite sure. I'm, I'm not entirely sure what the rules are. Whether presumably this doesn't break the rules, but it sounds like it might do. Um, uh, when when she was a, a, a little girl, she and her sister used to pass messages to each other with a made up kind of symbolic language. So they would write down this sort of special symbols, which would mean different words and things. And it was like the, the secret between them. And the innie has been able to somehow recall simply the, the, the language and uses it to send messages back. Now, I thought that the... Um, the rules of the the, the thing um, that the, it's no symbols that yeah. can be taken through the code detectors, which this language would be a symbol. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it holds up. Meh, I don't know, but anyway, like, but the ebook has has um, the the any actually communicate to say, right. hey, it's, it's really shit in here, <laughs> <laughs> and the Audi goes, oh no, I'm going to tell the press. <laughs> okay, well that's not as interesting as I had in mind. <laughs> No. <laughs> curiosity satisfied it's like well i've made this like clearly what is a diabolical deal with the devil but oh my gosh it's horrible wow it's such a surprise <laughs> the the code detector is is funny because um for a minute i i felt like such an idiot because they introduced this idea of the code detector you know adam scott tells tells her she can't leave because um it, there's a machine that can detect any or she can't take a message out because there's a machine that can detect any kind of message and um I, I remember thinking, like, that sounds pretty far-fetched. And then Heli just doesn't buy it for a second. Just, <laughs> I didn't even think of this, but, like, her immediate reaction is, well, that sounds completely fucking fake, so I'm just going to go for it anyway. <laughs> and for a moment, I was like, fuck, she's so smart. That's obviously true. Like, of course there isn't a fucking code detector. That's nonsense. And then it turns out, no, there is a code detector. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like that. I like a sort of, I like a show that kind of just goes, 
Yeah, the, the rules that we just made up there to, to prevent various aspects of the story just going kind of going going mad. And also, it, uh, like they are mad, it would make sense because it feels like, from her perspective anyway, those three people she just met are the kind of idiots who would never try. Like they would just be like, "Oh, okay, this code detects. We, we can't try that." Then, like, <laughs> it would be fun if she actually did break that rule. It is the concept is absurd because you know what what counts as a message is such a, a impossible question to answer because you know this comes it basically. They come pretty close to this, but you know, if you cut your wrists, even if they catch it and they they you know bandage them up and everything and save you, that that's a fucking message. You leave work with your wrist slit, <laughs> a message is being sent. And so, where the, where that machine draws the line is is pretty impossible to to that adjudicate. <laughs> yes, I do like that she does manage to break the rules by hanging herself. Yeah, uh, in in the in the lift um, and thus sending a message. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was a very good fuck you to uh, to uh, Lumen, especially as she tells um, uh, uh, Mister Mochik that um, she wasn't real in her apologies. <laughs> I enjoyed that when they tried to break her psychically, and she's yeah. just like, "I didn't mean any of it." The apology, by the way, the compunction statement: "Forgive me for the harm I have caused this world. None may atone for my actions, but me, and only in me shall their stain live on." I am <laughs> thankful to have been caught. My fall cut short by those with wizened hands. All I can be is sorry, and that is all that I am. <laughs> I am just sorry. That's amazing. <laughs> um, I thought that the the titles for the um, episodes are very good. My favourite probably being either the, the the grim barbarity of optics and design, or of course defiant jazz. Um, both of which are very good titles for um, for, 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 for TV programs. Um, I loved optics and design. I thought that that I, the whole idea of a department, which is just sort of given to just dressing offices, which is a completely normal and completely <laughs> necessary uh, thing, but the the sheer devotion to it. Uh, by the department i just it's hats off to it, it really is um i thought that the the commissioned artwork for the um for these kind of like uh, the uh, what's his name Keir egan Keir, kind of standing on top of mountains kind of looking out across landscapes and things they are just wonderful pieces of art so good and i love the reverence that um, <laughs> irving has for them and like this the, the, this sort of yeah i love, love that he's like a fanboy of their work <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, and then the, and the fact that he is that he interprets other stuff and sort of tells you extra stuff about it, and you sort of start to understand the, this culty, the, the culty aspect of this company, which is, it's just just like facelessly, uh, grimly corporate at, at that point, and then he kind of opens a door into something. I, I don't know if it's worse or not, but it's definitely different, and I don't like it, and it's so good. <laughs> I love the uh, in terms of art. I love the uh, uh, pixel art Egan uh, for when yes. they um, finally reach their quota. He gives a sort of <laughs> speech and then flies flies and away. Says, I love you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was really. really good. That's apparently Ben Stiller doing that voice. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's loads of little great touches like that. I love I love Defiant Jazz. The Defiant Jazz is great. It's great hearing. Free jazz on TV. I'm a big fan of free jazz, and you never get to hear it at all. Uh, so that was uh, that was pretty great. That whole list of genres. Uh, the title sequence. Actually. If you freeze frame on yeah, it, yeah, yeah, lots or, of good yeah. candidates. 
Yeah, Defiant Jazz. Um, the title sequence is done by that guy yeah. from Instagram who does all the weird, wobbly, yeah. like horrible art of people walking through eyeballs and them collapsing around him. And I think it's a, a really great title sequence. I also think the music for the show is really good. They use this like this one little three or four note motif, mm. um, uh, da, 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 which they kind of come back to again and again and again. And it, it's really good because it sounds like a kind of corporate jingle in a funny kind of way, but sort of touched with sadness. Um, and the sort of simplicity and, and repetition of it, I think, is 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 really clever. <laughs> I thought the um, uh, the set design is super good um because sort of hinting at that with the, with the um with the painting stuff but um i, I mean i think that's where a lot of the stanley parable stuff comes from these kind of corridors that just go off in completely abhorrent directions and just make no spatial sense i thought i mean i, I am i'm quite given to to sort of non-euclidean office space and like and after playing um stanley parable and, and this one really captures that um i love the I love the fact that they got so many different shots out of that um, that desk arrangement that um, the yeah. main characters have. Uh, this cluster of desks in the right in the middle of this empty room. You know, they could all have really big, really nice desks, but no, they're in this kind of cluster um, with these dividers up, which semi hide each other, but really don't do very much to hide each other. And they've. Um, Somehow, uh, the cinematographer has managed, or cinematographers managed to um, find new angles on them and ways through from one seating position to another to sort of where you can see that the expression or the, the the lowered head or whatever of the other character. I really, really enjoyed that. Particularly, it's like it's just a really nice piece of design. Like it's really clever. Like this sort of puzzle box of kind of. Um, uh, set design, really clever, and the keycaps on their machines are very, very nice. Yeah, I want those. <laughs> <laughs> it's an enormous room they're in as well, and they're all just huddled right in the centre of it. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's one thing that it actually shares with uh, Escape at Danamora, which is, as I say, a prison break show, and that show is also really horny for, like weird even though it's it's set in a real place um it's sort of horny for uh slightly impossible architecture mm. like the way that they escape from the prison in that show is is that uh, Vinicio del Toro's character is, is sort of put into this weird sort of between the walls middle space while one of the guards is trying to hide him while he's kind of talking to him and that's how he sort of finds his escape route out and it's got a kind of similar vibe I think Ben Stiller's got a, a real flair for um finding kind of strange spaces within spaces, you know, when you get into the perpetuity and it's got that Egan's house <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And then, yeah. um, I'm looking around that. I was also completely bizarre, the waffle party scene where the dancing heads <laughs> God, yeah. come out and do a weird, like sexual <laughs> dance routine for him. <laughs> it's very and it's so wild that, um, yeah. that that's the moment that he escapes. Cause you're, I was thinking he's, he's waiting for his moment where he's like, on his own and, and no one will see him go but there's like five people in the room when he just gets up and leaves <laughs> i'm slightly worried there that um that his he, he's been excited for the waffle party all the way through the series he finally gets it and it turns out to be a sex show <laughs> which oh come on i thought you were better than that was one of the faces on the dances the woman who's the kind of speaker for the board you know the kind of lady who comes down and talks to um, Patricia Arquette's character. I thought that 
one of the heads was a paper mache uh, version of her. I don't know if anyone else thought that. Huh. I don't know. I don't know. That would be weird. <laughs> I love the the whole board <laughs> thing. The, all the times when um, when uh, Patricia Arquette's character is is trying to talk to the board, and the, the lady's like, "The board has, has concluded the call." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like the board would just the board would like you to speak first. Which is yeah. a terrifying process. <laughs> it that doesn't really know what the is meetings a power about. Move, <laughs> that, that is such a power move. I really, I think, I think that I would like to take that into the workplace just to sort of have somebody <laughs> speaking for me. Sort of, Alex has left the call. <laughs> they, they don't know. Have you ever done that thing where you're on a a, com- a conference call with a whole bunch of people? It happens in TV quite a lot if you're dealing with America because all American companies have 3,000 executive producers and people like that. And I've, I've, I've been in that situation where I'm on a call and there is an amount of people just listening to me talk at the other end and then none of them are ever going to say anything back. <laughs> and I just, you know, I, I, I'm jabbering away and at yeah. a certain point I just have to go, right, I'm going to stop talking now and yeah. like, you know, that the void has accepted my words and she'll treat me well, you know, and I thought it was very good with the kind of, uh, the board would like you to speak first. And they only say one thing as well, like eventually they just say yes. <laughs> so being fired. It's very good. Just going back to um, the kind of, it's, it seems to be very interested in, in kind of like just buildings and houses and things, the way that you've got the um, Egan Keir's house inside the the. The, the office inside the kind of the complex you've got the kind of um company built houses that um that the main characters live in as well and you you kind of both of which are kind of weirdly sterile but then you have this kind of family home of his sister and um, brother-in-law which is kind of which is very nice for a really nice place but it's sort of it's nice and scruffy and things and sort of I, I keep finding it i kept finding it quite surprising when it had when it showed domestic you know, normal do, do, uh, domesticity, uh, because you kind of get uh, slightly sucked into the the surreal aspects of um, of of the game story, uh, the the film. You know, the series is kind of um, a, a story and settings. You know, in this kind of weird office that doesn't make sense. But then, and sometimes you can almost believe that the outside it doesn't really exist. But then you get to see kind of like, oh, people are living normal lives, like going to restaurants and having babies and stuff outside there. You know, the the surrealness kind of only goes a certain way, as far as we were led to believe for now. Anyway, I thought that was kind of cool. Mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting that the world that this takes place in is is very very. You know, this this the severance is the as far as we can tell, is the single weirdest uh, thing, weirdest thing in this entire yeah. world. The yeah. people and everyone cries by, yeah, and everyone is just really grossed out by it, which yeah. I quite like. You know, it's like no one really seems to be taken in by it at all, and the people who have taken up with it are the exactly the kind of social prize that they would be um, in the real world. I agree that the kind of domestic scenes are, are shot with a, a real warmth and homeliness to them. And I think, you know, it does sort of make sense that, you know, Mark is escaping, you know, something that was, you know, a a person not being there anymore, which is this kind of thing that he can't deny, even though his life is is relatively comfortable. I thought it was interesting that him and his wife were both historians. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. uh, But they both uh, willingly and otherwise, you know, severed themselves from their own history in order order to kind of escape from Mm -hmm. it. I was thinking also that the one of the one of the most heinous acts 
that the that Lumen does is to create um, a world in which uh, a terrible self help book written by an unconscionable person uh actually becomes meaningful and helpful uh positive yeah. in people's lives it's, 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 I, that's so clever because um they uh reckon this is the guy's name um reckon yeah, try, yeah, yeah. Reckon, tries yeah. tries to give a, um uh mark uh, a copy of his book really tries and it's really important to him and he sort of fusses over how how best to do it and he's really expecting a big impact on this and then Lumen see that this has been delivered and intercept it presumably to try and stop him from being influenced sort of just try and control his life and make sure that he's not being um given any funny ideas and that leads to it being ultimately being discovered by Mark's Innie who is in- incredibly impressionable and has never like it's both yeah. Yeah. like outside Mark would not have read it at all and if he had read it, it would have only laughed at it inside Mark is like absolutely captivated by the ideas and genuinely revolutionizes him like uh, uh, it radicalizes him and it's also like a great burn on Rickon that the only person his book would really change is someone who has no experience in the outside world. <laughs> <laughs> He's totally unaware of it. He's going, you really like it? It's <laughs> yeah. such a good scene. It's like, yeah. I do think <laughs> my life. there's a real disparity where like his sister is so nice and seems so smart and just sort of a switched on person. And her husband is such a fucking tool. <laughs> and she, no, no, I, it doesn't really yeah. make sense that he, she would have married him and, and decided to have a kid with no. him and everything. Yeah. He's yeah. a complete Because she gets it. Like, she's like hanging up. She's totally on, on Mark's side. Every time Mark is bitching about it, it's like, oh my God, yes. Like, she, she offers to give him £3,000 to forgive her for the water party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, a, he's a slightly a character on loan from another show. I yeah. Think. That's true. Really yeah. Quite yeah, work. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I think I think he's pitched a little bit high, um, but I do, you know, I think the I think the book is great. Yeah. Mister Milchick just like a really severe uh, security breach there, just like yeah, keeping the book uh, <laughs> and just leaving it in a meeting room by accident. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that is uh, the 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 way that um, Mark takes on that book, like really sort of showed me, like or suggests that, like sort of in some ways, the sort of the innies. Um, are almost like babies, you know, they are kind of almost mm. the pure form of, um, of their characters. You know, they don't have any of the baggage, uh, that time has, has lent the outies, you know, um, they, they, they are just who they are, you know, and, and I thought that was really interesting because in some ways, uh, Mark's innie has a good life up until you know yeah he seems quite happy with it and messes it all up yeah exactly yeah and it's quite um you know i thought that's quite a, an interesting dimension to it that um you know and obviously that the message and the assumption being that kind of you know um i don't know this gets a really interesting gray area um with the the memory thing because memory is not there isn't a clean dividing line between personality and memory right like one of the reasons this you know, a, a chain of memories sort of feels like a personality and a, and a person and a different person if it's a different chain. Um, and uh, that's a neat idea, but that you can't cleanly divide the two. And one of the ways in which it's very difficult to do that is is ideas. Um, 
like because one thing I've I've encountered more and more as I get older and older is that uh, I'll have an idea and it's hard to tell. If, am I having a new idea here, or is this one either I have had before or someone else has had before, <laughs> and I'm just subconsciously stealing it? <laughs> like I had to do a real rigorous <laughs> check of like, has anyone ever mentioned this to me? Like I've, I've sometimes had to go around and ask people, I've got this new idea. Is this your idea? <laughs> Where did this come from? And uh, I've invented fusion energy. Did I steal it off you? <laughs> so you can not remember something, but still have it form new pathways in your brain and make you open to new ideas. I actually wonder if this, if the self-help book would not play out that way, if it was someone who's extremely skeptical of this kind of thing, who's extremely sort of wise to it. it part of the way you, you get to that state is by being exposed to it over and over and over again. It becomes a cliche and you sort of, yes, I know that that, that thought sounds fun but it always leads this way this way or this one has an obvious flaw in it and stuff i feel like those pathways probably would survive a memory wipe like those aren't personal memories but you would still be that savvy person that would read this and think this is bullshit well it's it's funny isn't it because you can understand why lumen have such a controlled environment and why dylan finding out that he's got a son is such a mind fuck for him yeah and makes him bite mr mm. milchick you know because that level of insight uh, uh, rather than the like catch-all Barnum statements that they get um, uh, in the counselling, in the wellness, from the wellness counsellor, you know, it just completely explodes his perceptions of himself, you know, Mm. because he gets hugged by his kid and he can tell the kid likes him, you know, and, and if you've never had that, and had no yeah, because as far as he's it. concerned, he's got no memory of anyone ever hugging him, you know, or or having any responsibility for other people. Yeah. I mean that, yeah, that would be mind blowing. I really like the moment where Mark's really upset by like PT not being there because this is his. This is a person who he's known his entire life, you mm. know, who has suddenly just disappeared from there. And again, you can understand that at that level of Zoom, when all you have is this little space, how. Um, you know how awful that would feel for for someone to just go yeah well it's it's the, yeah. it's, the it's a child's experience isn't it it's the kind of it's you know yeah. the, the world is outside of their control and um and unknowable too and in fact he calls him his best friend which is a very childish way to put it yeah <laughs> there's a, you just reminded me of the best the best couple of lines in the whole show for me is when uh, Milchit is trying to break into the room where uh, Dylan is is maintaining the overtime protocol and he's trying to tempt him with all these these uh, trinkets. <laughs> he says, I can get you a coffee cozy right now. <laughs> and Dylan's replies, I want to remember my fucking kid being born. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Dylan. He's great. I think that, that that kind of breeziness to sort of, you know, that's the thing that I'd really that actually sort of um, propelled me through the show. Um, Cause I think that some of the surreal aspects of it, like, I don't know, it, the, put it having a goat kind of <laughs> to encounter a, like a goat. That was very room. lost, wasn't it? Yeah. There, there are lots of little things like that, which kind of, you know, just felt a bit thrown in um, or we want it to be weird. You know, wouldn't it be funny if, um, but it's, it's lines like that, which really balance the sort of, like an actual real emotional depth with breezy just joke making i thought that's real what really pulled me through it and like and you know and i was able to kind of ignore the points at which it got a bit sort of silly yeah i thought that i mean it's funny we can we can talk maybe a little bit about kind of hopes and dreams for the uh, <laughs> uh series two uh including wishing it wasn't happening and that they <laughs> wrapped it up for earlier um <laughs> 
but it's like I, I thought that that final sequence with Heli in the um, Hitman level um, party, uh, where uh, <laughs> I thought that kind of I don't know I thought that did a really good job of sort of summarizing where the show is and where it might go, um, you know, because it was a side of Lumen we'd never seen before. The, the corporate kind of co- sort of actual, you know, the, a corporation thing that we can recognize. You mean? Yeah, yeah, and I just I, I really enjoyed that, um, uh, and in, I enjoyed meeting her dad and kind of you're meeting her, um, her outie through the way other people are sort of responding to her, which I thought was really interesting. She's sort of learning about herself in that way. Um, And yeah, I just think, you know, that is a kind of, I liked seeing the kind of glossy real world glamour of it. You know, he um, still completely switched around how he was shooting, you know, the show and made it kind of feel, uh, you know, really kind of classy, uh, and also nightmarish uh, in, in its classiness. Uh, side note, I loved in that episode that like, he said, Stiller said that it, he wanted to do like his own little episode of 24. And that show does, that episode does take place in, in oh, real right. time. Uh, it basically, it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's 45 minutes cutting between different characters. Which that, I thought was that was cool. not yeah. the, the time frame I expected, by the way, when they p- made this whole plan, the overtime thing. I thought it was going to be like five minutes and they just had to like grab someone and yeah. quickly download them. <laughs> and then people are like you know, mingling at a party and kind of um, uh, Adam Scott doesn't want to interrupt the reading. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, dude, yeah, Dylan is like fighting for his life. life back there. <laughs> just grab someone. But I love that they use the sound of like... Um, uh, mobile phones interfering with speakers uh that kind of clipping that noise that they make to sort of switch between different perspectives i thought that was uh oh, i didn't notice that. that's pretty cool as well yeah i guess my uh, maybe this isn't uh, my sort of um what's the word reservations about season two um obviously I, i'm excited to see it and i'm looking forward to it and uh, i should say the finale although although i wanted more closure it was a brilliant episode of tv it was absolutely gripping yeah um yeah and for season two uh I'm, I'm just like i'm just forever scared it's it's not going to stick the landing and um one yeah. way i can see it going that isn't necessarily a hope um but it's just occurring to me that they have like we've t- been talking about lost a fair bit um they have set up a lost like format and in fact more recently um uh yellow jackets uh, did the same thing where every character can have a now story and a, and a backstory except in this case it can just be the outside story and the inside story so far we've only had marks um but now they we've got three other characters who are going to have um outside stories that we've now had a glimpse of two of them yeah on that basis what i kind of hope it'll do actually is to totally change everything i don't you i don't think it will do this but be a completely different show fundamentally because i don't i really don't want them to tell me what macro data um, refinement is because I suspect it's nothing and I don't want to find out really why even why they're so important to Lumen apparently you know because you know the, the sheer amount of investment that the company puts into them you know with all the kind of difficulties they go through and making them do whatever work they're doing I don't think there's any answer to that either um, I don't really want to sort of I, 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 I don't know I don't want to really find out more about a lot of the characters um I kind of want to know more about the company. Um, so yeah, like kind of, I suppose what I'm saying is, is I kind of agree with, with you, Jamie, that I'd kind of like to see the, the, the view zoom out. And now we're, now we're in this kind of glossy corporate world um, and witnessing, you know, things from that perspective. 
but it yes. would mean totally different. We haven't got that white background anymore, which is just, I just can't see them having invested so much in, in you know, the show has been reviewed very well for an Apple TV show. It's probably one of the most popular ones that they've done. And, you know, to, as a guess, um, uh, um, uh, I don't think that, that you can throw all that under a bus and change everything all around without getting lots of people getting really fucking pissed off with you creatively. But I think that's creatively the best thing to do. Yeah, I, I think I agree in, in terms of, of my hopes for it. I think it's very tightly structured, Series 1, and I think, you know, that they could, if they could break that up a little bit and make it a bit more, a bit a, a, weirdly enough, a bit more meandery, a bit more... Um, diffuse a, li- a little bit more if they leaned into the weirdness a bit I think you know I would I would like to see like you a kind of a bit more of a, a voyage into the heart of Lumen and sort of the weird um, edges of this of this technology which I think is a really kind of you know fun concept to be playing with um, you know there'll be a way that they could wrap up a bunch of stuff quite quickly and then take it off in in a in a new direction, not the sort of one that would last years and years and years, but I think that they could, you know, maybe, you know, kind of voyage to the heart of darkness of Lumen type thing. I think would be interesting as long as they didn't fuck around too much, you know, uh, wrapping up whoever the fuck story. You know, <laughs> it's like the characters are very well uh, observed and very well, um, you know conceived and i think they can take that and maybe twist it a bit now that's that's what i think would be interesting to twist to twist the formula and and test these characters a bit more um there's one like dramatic possibility here that that feels uh like a sort of thing that they that they might want to explore um uh i keep wanting to say missing link that's not a missing link but just a missed opportunity maybe uh, if they don't ever do it which is to have someone who isn't severed pretend that they are like if you had to pass at Lumen as if you are severed and then pretend not to notice that your wife is there who you thought was dead, um, that kind of thing would be a, a cool sequence, I think. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks to Tom and Alex for joining me. Uh, you can join our Discord, which is where I live now, a link for which is on our website, www.crateandcrowbar.com. We're on Twitter at Crate and Crowbar and on YouTube at youtube.com slash Crate and Crowbar. You can also email us at questions at crateandcrowbar.com. Crate and Crowbar is kindly funded by our Patreon backers. If you'd like to know more about supporting our podcast and its spin-offs, go to www.patreon.com forward slash Crate and Crowbar. Although as ever, patrons are not charged for these lock-in episodes. Thanks for listening, everybody, and please help yourself to the complimentary egg bar. Bye.